Welcome back to the eighth episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Today, we will be discussing the documentary One Child Nation. Spoiler alert to those who have yet to watch it. Um, actually, yesterday, the four of us decided to watch it together just to kind of refresh the minds of those of us who already watched it. And for me, who I've never, I haven't yet to seen it, to f- see it for the first time and to kind of just do it together as a community. Um, and today we are joined by our special guest, Shelly. Hey, um, I'm a Chinese adoptee and I right now live in um, South Southern Ontario in Canada. And so, yeah, I just wanted to thank you guys for letting me be on your podcast. Uh, I'm really interested in adoption and learning more about it as a process and what it means kind of to me more specifically. So I've definitely been exploring that and it's been nice connecting with other adoptees. Um, And I come from a geography background and I got my master's recently in human geography. So kind of that um, aspect of looking at people and their lived experiences and how that plays into their identity and sense of place is um, really intriguing to me. And so I'm right now working as a summer intern for China's Children International. And with that, I've been doing a project kind of looking at adoptee sense of place. Um, So if people want to get involved in that, that'd be great because I'm looking for participants. You know, one part kind of looks at adoptees' uh, meaning of home, and then the other part is kind of a mapping project that kind of looks at where they were adopted from in China and where they ended up now in the world. That's awesome. I love that. So cool. Yeah. We're really glad to have you on today, and I actually really am excited to see kind of what your results end up being to kind of see what other people, other adoptees feel like, where how they identify as home, and kind of just to see where everyone kind of spread out and scattered to. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so kind of just to start today's discussion, kind of want to just leave the floor pretty open and just get, you know, your general thoughts and feelings from you when you were watching the documentary. I was really surprised because this is my, um, it was my third time watching it. And I thought, you know, I couldn't cry anymore. Uh, But there were still a couple of tears, especially um, at the end. So I don't know. How did you feel about it, Alia, since it was your first time watching it? Um, (laughs) I definitely relate to the tears part. It was definitely very rough for me. I think part of like what made it so hard is initially going through, you know, it definitely hits you, but that wasn't anything new to me. Um, the topics about the one child nation policy and how uh, one, one child policy and kind of how it worked in China and how, you know, the Chinese people thought of it. Um, so I wasn't too surprised by that, but it definitely is very sad to, when you see like the pictures of the babies but when that title card hit of long hui uh xiaoyang hunan china i it just like punched me with emotions and i think it was also a combination of prior to that when they mentioned hunan as being part of like the uh baby trafficking i just like kind of felt this pit in my stomach because i knew i researched it before and i knew i've read some of it, of it about it but to kind of have to face that in the documentary was uh surprising and also just a lot so but you also adopted from that province yeah that's what that's why it kind of felt so personal that like last story and just hearing like the family speak about their lost daughter and the twins speak about it just kind of created like this whirlpool and I was so unsure of how to feel or like why I was feeling so intensely and I remember reading someone's comment um, on a discussion thread about the One Child Nation documentary, and someone mentioned, and, and like that was like the best way I could describe of it, of it being a very 
like deeply traumatic feelings that are kind of still within all of us. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was rough, but I'm really glad I watched it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was my second time seeing it, and it was good as a refresher because there's definitely things that I didn't remember from the first time watching it. And it is really sad, but I mean, I feel like now it's it is important to know the truth because I didn't know about the human trafficking like when I was a kid. I I mean, obviously, when you're a kid, your parents are gonna explain it to you very simply and like based on your maturity level and like what you can handle. Um, but kind of, you know, now that I'm older and realizing that it's like much more complex and oftentimes, you know, much more difficult and not so happy. Like there's a lot of sad parts to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's a lot to think about for sure. And the fact that it's just so personal to all of us, even if it's like not those uh, provinces or cities that we were adopted from, it's still like, well, that could have been us maybe who didn't necessarily make it um, or it could have been us of that's how we ended up at the orphanages and the fact that we don't know is just it does suck because like you know the information that the orphanage tells you know the adoptive parents that's something that I thought was true and there's already so little information that we know that to know that that could be fake or fabricated is discouraging for those who want to maybe find like use that information to possibly find birth family or just more about their past Mm -hmm. also when you mentioned um feeling like oh that could have been us i remember thinking that i think when the journalist was or the artist was uh saying how he was going through um trash and he found all those feet discarded fetuses that part yeah that one that that always gets me because i'm like yes i was abandoned but at least at least they didn't kill me you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, the little things you've got to be yeah. thankful for it is scary because that could have been me yeah that was my second watch through I didn't cry super hard like compared to other people that I know when they watched it um I watched it with another adoptee from the same province as me actually um but that that artist that whole segment about him like I the tears fell for that one that was just really intense and I was just like I don't know, it was like all blurry on the shot of like, oh yeah, and I was looking through this trash and found mannequins and then all of a sudden it focuses and I was just like, like my jaw was on the floor. I was like, oh my God. And then he was just going through all those pictures. That was like, that for me, that was like, wow. Like this is, this is intense. This is insane. It was really eye-opening for me. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. because it forces us to, it forces a hard truth on us of, you know, ones that we've thought of and considered, but you don't really always see and it kind of forces you to also look at your own mortality in a way because Mm -hmm. you're like it's like oh my god that as you guys have said like that could have been me I could have been in the the dumpster like that yeah I could have been nothing more than a piece of trash on the side of the road to someone and that's a really hard reality to face it is exactly I think there's there's a lot of trauma in adoption in general but there is this additional layer of trauma that comes from being adopted out of the one child policy and everything. And mm-hmm. if you want to really dig into your origin story, if you want to look for your birth parents or just understand where you come from, you have to face like this documentary is like definitely a must see because you have to, like you said, it's a hard truth. You have to face head on the reality that like your, your story that you were told may not be real. Um, and in all likelihood, it's probably not real and understand just how much went in and that like we, a lot of us were human trafficked as babies and sold like that's, that's a fact, which is yeah. a lot to sit with. 
it was actually hard for me because I, I just assumed from a young age, you know, I was abandoned and that was that. And then to realize that, oh, maybe my, my family did want me, you know, because the way mm-hmm. that my mom always kind of phrased it was like, oh, they wanted a son. So like in order to have a son, they gave you up. Mm-hmm. Was like the thing that maybe, oh, maybe they didn't just abandon me. Maybe they, I was taken from them. Yeah. Or, yeah. That yeah, was I, really painful. Yeah. I think like, you know, obviously some families clearly like intended to keep, you know, their babies and children or and then they were taken away. But like even for the ones that maybe, you know, made the choice to abandon, it was clear like when they're interviewing all those families and it highlighted that they kept on over and over saying again, like, but we had no choice, like what else were we to do? And I feel like even if it wasn't, you know, we weren't actually taken away from our families, it still almost seemed like like they didn't have a choice, like it was still almost forced that they had to make that decision because it was out of like desperation or maybe they were too poor. Um, and so it's still kind of, I, I do try to view it as like, well, I do think to some extent all of us were wanted mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. just a matter of, you know, when if you think realistically, like if they were physically and like financially, emotionally, I don't know, not able to take care of us, like that just sucks that they're put in that situation and that the cultural and like the government, you know, was set so that they had to make that sacrifice, which I'm sure was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Watching the uncle of the the person talk about it, like even though he did like, I don't know, that was really that was also in a really intense moment because at least for me when I was watching I could see like he did what he thought was best and like he he really wanted that daughter and the fact that he still thinks about like how old she would have been I don't know like that just that got to me too I was like you still think about that stuff and it like um it seems like it haunts these people but they you're right yeah. they didn't have a choice and they it would have kept us if they could have if circumstances allowed hmm. I don't know about you guys but I know for me, when I initially found out and growing up, like, I guess the, as you, as you know, you mentioned before, the way that it's phrased of like being unwanted or kind of being because you're female, like I knew that created a lot of resentment for me of, you know, oh, like anger towards like this whole, like, it's a man's world thing and boys are better and anger to my parents for letting something so stupid kind of separate us. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, as I grew up, and like, I did my own research, I kind of, it's like prior to this documentary, I found out some of those heart truths and kind of saw some of their stories. And then especially watching this again, kind of reconfirmed all those feelings that I started feeling of, you know, maybe my story is like not what I thought it was. And maybe for me, like the best I can do right now is to tell my own version of the story. It may not be the truth, but it's the truth that I want to believe in of, maybe I you know maybe I was really wanted by them but they just couldn't take care of me whether I was their second child or you know because I was a girl or they just couldn't afford it and they wanted a better life for me and like that's why I wasn't discarded and kind of really focusing on that aspect for my own personal healing so like how what did you guys did you guys go through kind of any of that and I feel like it's easy to kind of be angry at adoptive at your birth parents initially I definitely had some of those same feelings. Um, my adoption story, as they say, is I was left at a police station. And so my parents always kind of like you did, they like they said, like, they could have left you anywhere, they could have killed you, but they wanted you to have a good life that they couldn't give you. So they left you in a safe place. And that's kind of what I use to kind mm-hmm. of to to stop the dissonance in my head from like just 
what happened. Mm -hmm. um, so it I had all the same kind of story too that was also found on the police yeah um, station doorstep. But then after um, seeing how like a lot of the fi finding locations were fabricated, mm -hmm. then that just like led me to question my not my existence, but like because I already have so yeah. little of exactly. that way of my one week of birth before my parents abandoned me. Mm -hmm. I've just like lost that one piece of information that I thought was true. You know what I mean? If that yeah. makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Like for me, like having that as like the, the fallback, like, I don't know if you guys ever heard this, but even as like a very, very young child, I had people saying like, oh, did you know that they killed you over there? Like you're lucky to, like you're lucky they didn't mm -hmm. found you. Oh my that. gosh. Like from it's a very young age. Yeah. And like, even I had a professor in college in a full classroom tell me, wow, you're lucky they didn't kill you. And like, <gasps> That yeah, I, I literally reported her. I was like, how dare you say that to me in the middle of, like, we would have wow. nothing to do with what we're talking about. But, like, I always got really, obviously, I was very annoyed and I was really upset by that because it, I don't know about you guys, but for me, when people say that, I know maybe this is just me being emotional about it, but I always felt that they were saying, like, you should have been drowned or you should have been killed. And, like, I know that's not mm. what they mean, but, like, just tell somebody, like, oh, you're so lucky that you weren't murdered. Like, who says that? I don't know. It just... So like that story gave me peace That's of mind horrible. and then to learn that that is probably not even true. I don't know. That was like a really hard thing to sit with for me. Speaking of the um, you're lucky line, this is terrible. But I remember sometimes when my mom was mad at me growing up, she'd tell me, you're lucky that we adopted you. Oh, um, God. And I got that too. Yes. And looking back now, I'm like, That's such a messed up thing to say to your kid. I'm so sorry like, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my mom never said that to me. I mean, sometimes, like, if family, friends, or strangers would like come up and, you know, they'd like realize that I'm adopted, they would tell her, like, oh, she's so lucky that you adopted her. And she would oftentimes, she would get annoyed when people would say that. And she would say, no, like, I'm the lucky yeah. one. Um, and she would try to say like I learned so much from my kids and it's like a two-way relationship and she even said once though there was like an Asian woman who said that to her and and I think it was a Chinese woman and she was mm. saying you know it's not great for girls in China so she's lucky that she lives here and that you gave her a better life so I think that was interesting that someone from China said said that Actually, that they... that's so funny because my ex-boyfriend's mom when she found out that I was adopted, the first thing that she said was, you're so lucky. And I just, I didn't know what to say in that moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I Someone said that who was also Chinese to my mom. And when everybody else says it, it feels different. But for some reason, when she said it, 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 it didn't feel, at least for me personally, it didn't feel the same, like, ignorance and whatever, because she came from China and she saw what that life was like. Mm -hmm. So yeah with that one person I was like okay but everybody else one person like told my mom like you're so like she's so lucky hope she knows how lucky you are that you got her from like that whatever and my mom was like like leaned in she was like you're lucky I don't punch you in the face right now that's <laughs> your mom I know my mom my mom is like she is she's a rock star <laughs> she takes she takes it and she gives it back <laughs> I think the hard part is that it's as like, you know, I've seen so many people say before, it's tied to that like savior story. Mm -hmm. And it's tied to like us being objects almost to people. Literally, because we were literally bought. Yeah. yeah. 
versus like I, I I think sometimes I do understand what they mean of like, you know, I do feel that I feel grateful that I wasn't abandoned on the side of the road. And I feel grateful to have the family and life I have now, and the people I've met in my life. The opportunities. I think yeah. when it's like said to you that way of like, oh, you're lucky that you didn't die. Like that's just very aggressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, it's like saying that you should feel this way, you should feel that way, as opposed to just letting adoptees feel however they want to feel about it. Yeah. Um, it's giving adopt like babies start off with like they exist, right? It's putting any adoptee into like a negative balance that they owe their parents more like we don't in my opinion, I don't think adoptees and people who truly adopt for the right reasons, they don't look at their children as like indebted to them for the rest of their lives. Like we don't owe them more than anybody else's parents out there. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. they adopted us. It it doesn't give us like a negative balance that we have to pay forward until the day we die it shouldn't at least for me yeah because we wouldn't be able to (laughs) exactly also because i mean it's not like we want i mean we benefited from it but we didn't sign you know consent forms and everything they they wanted a baby and then they bought us and so it was also like fulfilling their own desires yeah and it's weird though when they talked about the orphanages um buying babies because then it's (laughs) like well maybe that that they were the first ones to you know quote unquote buy us yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it almost is like the orf like it, it's I don't know it seems like a very complicated system but like it, it was like a self-fulfilling thing like people would bring these babies to the orphanages they would pay them to make money and to get the babies out it was just like this big old cycle and it's like where exactly is the breakdown like what caused what it, it's like the, the chicken and the egg it's like it just keeps going and going Mm. yeah I hope that made sense that was a little blurry (laughs) yeah (laughs) actually speaking of that I was kind of like this was something that hit me when I was watching it but what did you guys think about like hearing the stories from the people who were doing the human trafficking like that family that got sentenced like do you do you feel like it was right or wrong like what what are kind of your thoughts about that because I was very mixed Mm-hmm. I thought um, when they did the interview with, I think, was it the mother who was the first person who did that, who started it? I mm-hmm. thought it was just her action just came out of like a good place because she just didn't want to see babies suffering. Yeah. She wanted to take, mm-hmm. obviously, because she took that one baby in for almost two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was, it started out of a good place. You just didn't want to see all these innocent beings um, just die horrible deaths. I think so too. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Otherwise, I mean, that one family left their baby in a market and it died after two days. No one took it. So, I mean, that is the mm-hmm. fate of some of these children if they were not picked up by the human traffickers because no one else, you know, wanted them. Yeah. So I do yeah. think that they saw like a problem and they were doing the best they could to try to find a solution, even though if it was like maybe not the best solution. Mm-hmm. Also, um, they wanted um, to help. The yeah. one aunt that was interviewed that also... Um, that gave her baby to the human traffickers. Mm-hmm. I liked how she was saying, you know, obviously she couldn't keep the baby and it was better to give the baby to the human traffickers than to just abandon it because she had seen, you know, the horrible deaths that happened to those babies yeah. when they are mm-hmm. just abandoned. It seemed like there were so many years that people had to desensitize themselves and just get used to seeing dead babies everywhere that like... That is so crazy. I just can't imagine what that would feel like to have to like I don't think anybody would want to have to desensitize but like it's just such a common thing that it's just you have to get used to it or you're gonna break yeah. so, like mm-hmm. these people tried to do 
something better than to they try to desensitize themselves they try to do something and that's how I kind of saw that origin or like um the you know the the person who was kind of directing the documentary how she mentioned like you know she can't even handle hearing her son cry for a few minutes let Mm -hmm. alone like just walking along the street and just hearing like the screams and the cries yeah and then I can't imagine the family planning officials they were the ones who were to take babies away from families or the doctors that were supposed to you know do the abortions or the sterilizations and then they described how some of the mothers were like literally like trying to run away yeah that was really sad I thought it was really nice how the the first um, family planning official she she was trying to kind of make amends for all the things for all the babies she had killed by treating infertility yeah yeah that was nice I thought that was really good it was like refreshing to see kind of because you know as like the documentary mentioned so many people do believe like this was done and like you know I like that one person the party um family planning leader had mentioned of like oh I'd do it again like I, I'm proud of what I did and like so seeing someone who did is like yeah. you know what I did was horrible we had no choice but it was horrible and I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to give back in a different way was mm-hmm. just comforting almost to see that like yeah yeah, there were people there who did kind of have a conscience yeah I think and this is I I mentioned I had a couple thoughts in my mind last night but I think maybe not everybody of course some people are just awful people but Mm. I I think for my sanity I have to believe that people like that who truly believe that that was the only way to save it that is how they have to live with themselves that how they have to continue to go on they need to tell themselves that this needed to happen to mm. save the entire country. Mm. Otherwise they will go nuts and they will lose it and they will have to sit with exactly what they did for the rest of their lives. And I think that that would drive some people insane. Yeah. That's what the propaganda did. Mm-hmm. Like they were trying to really strongly push the message of like, you know, the individual sacrifice yeah. so that like collectively our whole country can gain. Exactly. They, they brainwash everybody to make this happen mm. yeah I was I, I know obviously know that China's very big with their propaganda but I was yeah you know I, d- I didn't expect it that way that makes sense yeah it was I thought, I thought the documentary did a really good job of like of explaining why people were able to do these kinds of acts and like showing how deep the indoctrination was exactly it re- I don't know how you guys felt, but like seeing the exact same things happening again when they ne- with now like the two child policy, like the exact same songs, but with like two, that like oh. I don't know, that just sent chills down my spine. Honestly, like it's literally for sure, myself, but like with two kids instead of one. Yeah, that's so frustrating. It's like a one eighty, and they're just okay. Now it's it's you know more beneficial for the country to have more children, and it's just completely the opposite. And it it was saying in the documentary like people who you know lived through the one child policy still remember that time, but mm-hmm. I mean as time goes on, if you know with propaganda, people might not even know in China about the one child policy, which that's, is crazy what, to think. That makes me mad. Mm-hmm. I think that they're. I know this will never happen, but I almost feel like the government needs to acknowledge the human rights atrocities that happened. And I don't know, they, just, they need to acknowledge mm. it. Then they're not going to, but I just For think sure. it's terrible. And I wish that, you know, the author, those authors and reporters would be able to 
publish their stuff in China, which also will never happen. Mm, yeah. It's mm. like, I mean, there's millions of lives that have forever been changed because of this policy. Yeah. Yeah, the that, amount of suffering and pain that people mm, went through and it's just being exactly. brushed under the rug and exactly. they still believe that, you know, China's good and great and like they did the right thing for our population. Mm. Yeah, it's nuts. I think one of the biggest pieces of like propaganda or like evidence of that whole like brainwashing and stuff was like when they would say I aborted these babies after they were born. And that's not an abortion. That's just straight up killing a baby. Like they were like full term babies that they just like were like, yeah, I aborted this full term baby after it was born. Like that's just killing. And that, and I mean, maybe there was like a lack of, I don't know what it was, but like that just showed me like, the government said like oh you're not killing babies you're just avoiding them late like i was like wow that's that's some somersaults to get to that conclusion yeah. heard of um, brian and his wife before this doc i did actually a little bit i remember bit. being younger and hearing a little bit about research china um and i think someone mentioned this when we were initially talking a little bit yesterday but i didn't pursue it because i heard a little bit of like not necessarily scandal but some controversy behind it of it being a really expensive service oh so i kind of stopped like looking into it and i was mm -hmm. like oh I'm, I'm a kid i'm I'm, a, I'm too young to really go into this and also don't have the money mm -hmm. yeah yeah i haven't heard of the scandal i mean i heard that there was some controversy um it, i mean the fact that they have themselves adopted children you, you would think that they are doing it from the right place and mm. then i know there are like in the big scheme of things that there are people who will try to exploit adoptees who are trying to find mm -hmm. like information so that just sucks because it already makes it hard and it's already hard enough yeah. um but and it was really interesting when they did find a match from one of the families in the documentary like the birth families and then when they connected with um the adoptee i think in the united states um, she had like emailed back saying she wasn't interested in learning more information at this time, which it, I think that might be depending. I don't know how old she was, um, but it was just interesting that, you know, some adoptees, because that's quite different from how I feel. Like if I had someone literally just email me being like, we found your birth family, I'd be like, oh, wow. Like, yes, I'd love to connect with them. So it's just interesting to see that there's, you know, there's just such a vast um, amount of, I guess, feelings, opinions, perspectives. Um, across adoptee, the adoptee community. Yeah, definitely. I was actually very frustrated at that scene because I like half of me. I know I understand why, like you know, that adoptee may feel that way, and you know, everyone's different with their experience. But then there's also the part of me that was so frustrated, and, and it's kind of like almost angry at life of like, why that person? Like, why not someone who wants to find? Yeah. their parents like why is it so difficult but for some like because I I think it came from a personal place because I know someone who wasn't adopted from China was adopted elsewhere um but they just had no interest in it but they had photos they had information they had a lawyer and it was just so frustrating to see how little they cared when mm -hmm. someone like me who cares so much has absolutely nothing to go on and you know considering our stories are probably a lie like there's just no information yeah. and I'm so angry kind of no I totally understand what you mean it feels like some bitter irony or some sick joke that like I want it so bad and I it may be something I can never have and it's in your lap and like you don't want it it's yeah. 
also the other interesting thing was that not only was it that adoptee but i think the wife said that most of the adoptees that they reach out to uh usually don't want to connect with their birth families yeah that's wild and part of me part mm. of me at the time when she said that i was thinking what adoptees are you like reaching out to that's that's crazy like because i just think of all the people on that i've all the chinese adoptees that i've met they i mean they would give an arm and a leg to me to know like about their yeah Mm. That that being said, I don't want to invalidate anyone who generally doesn't want to look for their birth family. I'm sure I think we're all in a unique situation that we're very ingrained in the adoptee community now. And those who put themselves in the adoptee community are more comfortable and wrestling and understanding mm. with that part of their identity. But I mean, mm. I know that I feel like we can all attest to a time where we weren't comfortable with that. We wanted to fit in X, Y, Z, or we just weren't ready to f- to face that part of our past. Like I have an entirely different set of birth parents somewhere that that's a very difficult thing to come to terms with sometimes. And I Mm -hmm. think that maybe I like to think that maybe one day they'll come to that point, but I feel like maybe that, especially since this, this team seems to be like better at like finding more, I don't want to say like fresh because we're not like me, but like, <laughs> you know, like more recently adopted people like in the 2000s and on, which is it's a little bit like they're younger, you know, the, those people in like 2005, they're 15 right now. I don't when mm-hmm. I was 15. I didn't want to deal with the reality of that, you know, so I, I hope that maybe over time those adoptees will will sit with that and think about it and make that decision to try but I, I feel like if someone came to me when I wasn't ready for those things I, I might do the same now I'm looking back and I'm like how why I of course I want it but like back then I would be like I'm not ready to face that part of my life yet mm-hmm. at least the good thing is that you know they'll always have that um contact information so if they yeah. do have a change of heart in the future yeah yeah and I, I wonder, wonder if... oh sorry <laughs> oh sorry I was just going to say again, kind of repeating similar to what I said, I just wonder how much of it is a lack of information. And I've heard that some adoptees feel that if they look for their birth family, they feel like they're betraying their adoptive family. Um, Mm -hmm. So that could be another Mm -hmm. reason. Yeah. And part of me wonders, like, what did Brian say to them? Did they say, we found your birth family and we're willing to connect you guys for free? Or we found your birth family for $150, we'll get you their email. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. These... From what I've heard from other adoptees, um, they seem they don't. I, I this isn't me. Like I don't know. Um, like maybe people have some really great experiences, and that's fantastic. I'm really happy for you. But from some of the people I've talked to, they've had less than desirable experiences with them, and they feel like they're just getting ripped off or they're being exploited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, when my mom adopted me, she got an email from I think Brian. If you pay us so much money, we'll find your daughter's um, finding ad. See, that just fits with, you know. I don't know. I think they mean well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think part of it is, like, trying to make a business out of it. But I think part of it, like, when I was thinking about it, also has to go to the expenses of traveling to China to get, like, the DNA, um, doing the, the hours of research and stuff like that. And that's kind of also what I thought about when, like, the human traffickers of getting that like when they're getting paid to do that that like part of it is from a good place and part of it is also you need the money to be able to do what you're doing mm-hmm. but we also don't know the extent of like how much they're charging and if it is just purely business at that point i was like noodling around on the website a little bit i fell down like the adoption rabbit hole last night after we watched it mm-hmm. and 
some of it seemed like legit and cool, but what some of it, it was, I don't know. It just, it just sit right with me. And maybe that's not the most like scientific or verbalized answer, but just when I was looking at the website, it was like, pay $50 for like a birth search analysis, pay $50 for like, to see if your adoption story is legitimate, pay like $75 to see if we even like, if we have your ad, it just seemed I, I get it that it's a business and they, they want to make money and there's probably is a really big cost. It just, I don't know, just something, the amount of things that they charged for, it just felt like, it just felt so commercialized. And if this is truly coming from a different heart, I just can't imagine. I just personally can't, I wouldn't be able to commercialize it as much. Maybe I'm young and naive, but. Yeah, like those are high prices. And the wording makes it sound like they're potentially promising things they can't even follow through with, because who's to say that they'll search mm. and they can for sure find your birth family? I mean, maybe I'm underestimating like the system they have in place and how much information they have, but then it kind of seems like they're gatekeepers and it's like they have the information and it's, yeah, it's just like, well, if you don't pay, you don't get the information, uh, which, yeah, that's that's troublesome. Um, one thing was that was interesting was I think they uploaded their data to, was it like Jed, something? Anyway, it's like a Jed website. Match. I think so, but I think it's a website that I think like you could access, um, because I think you can upload your DNA. Like if you did uh, twenty three andMe, I think you can upload upload your data. There's a number of um, different like DNA services in China that you can upload it directly, which is really cool. Yeah. yeah. But also, it's China. Yeah, that's China another having your DNA issue in another world. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, they're they're the way they word it. I'm just thinking to myself. I'm like that. If I saw an email with that, I'd be like, for sure, this is spam. This is trash. Don't bother me. <laughs> yeah, me too. One thing that I really liked about the documentary was that story about like mm-hmm. the twin sisters, and I thought that yeah. the uh, one sister in China. Um, she was saying how she had finally got in contact with um, her sister in America. And I thought what was really nice was how respectful she was of her sisters, like just giving her time to acclimatize, yeah. if that makes sense. For sure. Because mm-hmm. it is it is a lot to mm-hmm. process, you know, being told, oh, you have a twin oh, sister. Yeah, sure. Growing up knowing, oh, I have a twin sister who is in America. Yeah. Um, Especially like at her age to be able to, you know, understand and kind of, like process that too of like despite the amount of feelings that you're feeling and like the excitement and the energy that you want to put in like that consideration that like adults sometimes don't even show and it's like also can't imagine how painful that would be because like I'm sure part of her like wants to like clearly wanted to ask her those questions but she didn't one being very considerate to her sister of like that might not be something that she wants to talk about and two like I can't imagine what it would feel like. It's like you can't get hurt by the answer you never hear kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with like if we try to find, um, you know, information about our birth family. Because, I mean, there are some families that are clearly looking and they, they've submitted their DNA. And, you know, maybe they're doing posters trying to find the babies that they lost. But then there's also the chance that if we search, like we might find nothing or we could find something that's like opposite of what we're telling ourselves. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, birth families might not be looking for us Mm -hmm. or they might not want to connect, even if, you know, you found, I don't know, somehow found them. So that's also, I guess, a barrier to even like search because emotionally just getting your hopes up 
And then if it's just not what you would imagine mm-hmm. it to be, Absolutely. that would be There's a hope in the idea that the, our families want us as much as we want to find them, but that hope is dangerous because it could, it could hurt us just as much. Mm-hmm. And then maybe some of the reasons that some families aren't looking or they wouldn't want to connect is just maybe the guilt of what they have done if they just feel really bad about, you know, having to give up, um, you know, their daughter, that, that they would maybe worry that adoptees would be angry, which, you know, some are. So maybe they're scared of kind of experiencing, I don't know, backlash yeah. from us. I, I don't know. All really good points. Yeah. I think, though, um, watching that and, like, hearing their stories really just kind of gave me this deep urge to like hopefully one day find my birth family just to tell them like I'm not Mm -hmm. angry at you I just want to let you know that like I'm doing really well with the life that you gave me you know and kind of Mm -hmm. as like a almost comfort to myself Mm -hmm. and to them you know whether or not they want me or they actually want to keep any contact but I want to let them like know that it's okay you don't need to feel that guilt and shame yeah, I feel like that. I have a desire mm-hmm. to do that as well. It's also, I mean, this is slightly veering to another direction, but a part of me during COVID-19 was wondering what if I have birth family that died yeah. because of the virus, which is like a whole mm-hmm. other can of worms. But I just, the idea that I always imagine that they are alive, but I mean, then the other thought of like, well, it's possible that they're not, or one of, you know, my parents, birth yeah. parents is not. I've always wanted to to look at somebody who's I potentially look like which sounds like very maybe it sounds really weird but like I've my whole life I wanted to see one person who like looks like me you know because my I mean obviously my parents are white and they look very different I just it's such a weird little thing but it's, it's like all I've wanted is just it actually not that like I mm-hmm. personally have like thought about getting plastic surgery but I've always thought I can never get plastic surgery because what if I have my mom's nose and then I change my nose and then I don't have her nose anymore? Like something like that. It's so like weird and random to think about, but like, it's always like, that's always been like a really big thought in my mind. I totally see where you're coming from. Cause like every time I see in like subtle Asian adoptee traits or, you know, FCCNY or CCI, someone posts like, oh, hey, I'm from like such and such region and it's the same as mine. I like scan through the comments sometimes looking at people's pictures and being like, do they look similar to me? Do they look similar to me? Like, could there be any chance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely common amongst adoptees. And it's like, I'm sure maybe sounds weird to non-adopted people because they're, you know, they probably do not have to think twice about that. I think it's also because when you hear so many success stories almost of like these crazy stories of, oh, we found each other um, because someone on social media said like, hey, we look alike and you mm-hmm. see people connect because of this. You're kind of like, oh, my God, could that be me? Yeah, because that's how like a really famous case of like a viable person online. That's how they found someone they were blood related to, which I think is like so so crazy yeah definitely gives us something to kind of hold on to for hope because <laughs> if it could happen again thinking negatively we're like well that could have been us about kind of the sad part of you know the adoption in China but at the same time when you see the happy reunion stories what's mm-hmm. like well that could also yeah. be us maybe you know mm-hmm. yeah I guess it's just a balance <laughs> of trying to you know to be hopeful but not have your expectations no, too high I definitely and still appreciate that. Thank you, Shelly. You are what it. we need. 
<laughs> I definitely want to check out those books that they were they were talking about and stuff. I'm I'm really curious to to read my to read those. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I downloaded that like right after the um documentary finished. I was like, okay, this nice, is on my list. Nice. Need to read it. Let me know when you read it. We can do like a little yeah. book club. Oh yeah, um, that would be fun. Because I, it does really help to not only like you know watch something or read something and then process your own thoughts and emotions like by yourself, but then in talking like with you guys and you know other people in the adoptee community about certain um, topics or you know something that they watched or read, it really sometimes mm-hmm. they'll say things and I was like, oh wow, I never thought of it that way. Or um, mm-hmm. so it's really cool to hear what other people think about you know this uh, what whatever it is the content. And to kind of hear their perspective. Yeah. I find it really helpful. I totally yeah. agree. So like any other um, thoughts or like kind of feelings that you guys had while watching this? Just that it's a must-see. When you're ready for it. Not everyone's ready. But mm-hmm. when you're ready and hit that point, it, it's a must-see for any Chinese adoptee. Or anybody who loves or is connected to a Chinese adoptee, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just definitely something I want to share with, um, you know, my mom and my boyfriend, just because it's kind of like, a, it feels almost like a piece. It, yeah. it is a piece of my story. And I think for me personally, like how much emotion I went through, like I kind of want someone else who isn't part of it or like may not understand, but to kind of get them to understand, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing about it's not like adoptees job yes. to educate others. And it's so nice because this exists and just simply like, you know, saying, hey, like, maybe check this out, like, so you can understand my story better. Mm-hmm. And then that takes like the emotional burn off of you to have to maybe get into kind of, you know, the darker parts of adoption. And then it could become, you know, pretty taxing and hard for us as adoptees to kind of get so personal. Um, so for this to be kind of an in-between and like a piece oh, of creating awareness, um, it can help people understand um, without us having to just like completely <laughs> open up about our whole life story and Absolutely. the history and everything that's a great point definitely is there anything you guys wish the documentary had shown more of or could have covered but wasn't able to I just wish it was like I just I just want to know more I want to know everything and that is not a helpful answer at all but that's part of the adoption rabbit hole <laughs> um so yes but what it would be I have no idea Mm-hmm. I think I mean I forget when it was created but just maybe a bit more on the two child policy because that's like where you know everything's at right now um, because I've heard that the two child policy is not really working that the one child policy works so well that now people are whether they're afraid to have two children or just I've heard that people are choosing to kind of focus on their careers and and you know it's getting expensive to have children so that they're still sticking with having one child so the two child policy is not really working and then demographically that's pretty bad because then they have an older generation mm-hmm. there won't be enough young people to take care of it um but I guess maybe that's just more people can yeah it's like food for no thought that, you know we're left with to commit maybe do some research on mm-hmm. I think what I kind of wish the documentary would have covered would be kind of maybe like what other alternative solutions were proposed. I don't know if this is even, um, was even like put out anywhere in China because Mm -hmm. China tends to squash that. Um, But like if there was another solution or if like other people, other nations have kind of come up with solutions for population control like that, that aren't so harsh because I understand somewhat 
of like, okay, yeah, you're worried about the starvation. And as someone mentioned, like cannibalism, you know, if it getting, if it getting to the far and then you give your country, the people who live in your country a really bad life and living conditions, but there's so much better way to go about it than committing human atrocities of killing babies of forcibly sterilizing women. Like, mm -hmm. That does remind me, it was at the very beginning of the um, documentary, mm -hmm. and the grandfather was saying how Anfu was able to have a younger brother because he told, he begged the, the family planning officials to um, not sterilize the mom and to like, uh, give her like a couple of years mm -hmm. and then they'd have another child. And the way he, it was worded, it just bothered me because it was, it was a man dictating what a woman was able to do with her body. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And he was saying, oh, I could stomach waiting another four years for a son. I don't know. Yeah. I understand where he's coming from and the oh, China's culture, but just hearing that just didn't sit well. It just reminds you. Same with how um, the, I think the grandfathers were all sitting together and then Nanfu was saying, oh, does my son mean the same as mm -hmm. my brother's son? Oh, they were so angry. And just, and just their logic. Yeah. Once again, you know, I understand that there's let's do with the culture, but still. Yeah. Makes me mad. It's just a reminder of exactly where the value is placed based on gender and how it's not goals. It's all about the guys. Mm -hmm. And then it would have been maybe interesting to hear more perspectives of other families. Cause I mean, the person who was making the documentary focused on her and she like interviewed her parents and her brother, but maybe like other families, they, I mean, they interviewed other parents mm -hmm. and, you know, like uncle and aunt and people, but like maybe other people closer to her age. So like people that maybe were only children that grew up, you know, in a generation of mm -hmm. other kids who were only children. And then like, did they fully know what was going on? Did they notice that there was way more yeah. boys than girls? Like mm -hmm. just, you know, cause they made it seem like some people didn't know what was happening, you know, that it, like the severity of what was happening because the government did try to keep it very like, hidden underneath the surface but then at the same time some people did because it was happening on the streets and people were banding babies everywhere it seemed so it's just interesting to know you know the the people that would maybe be our age but like living in China like you know if we had stayed in yeah. China what could our life look like mm. awesome and kind of cool would have been to have um a little like interview maybe with an adoptee yeah show how that has affected their life yeah I feel like that could be like a whole documentary on its own too. I think there was a documentary. It was, I think it was very similar to the title of your podcast um, or maybe somewhere between or somewhere in the middle there. there I, I watched one that had a very similar title and it did focus on adoptees. I think they're in the United States and they were on the younger side. So like they were younger than we are, um, but it focused on adoptees and I'm, it might have been made by like a group of uh, adoptive parents, but I don't quite remember because it was made a while ago. Um, but but it did kind of feature their stories, and then the the adoptees were like connected. I think they might have been in the oh, same adopt never heard of um, adoption before. group, but kind of focusing on their different feelings. It'd be really interesting to see like the stages, you know, of like for adoptees who are younger than the stage for adoptees of our around our age who are kind of coming into adulthood, and the ones who are older and are starting to approach that age where they're having their own kids, you know, and kind of seeing like our spread out stories yeah. and experiences. Yeah, I just Googled it. So it is called Somewhere mm -hmm. Between and it's a documentary that was released in 2011. Hmm. Never heard of it before. 
And so it chronicles the experience of four Chinese girls who are adopted by American families. Oh, and it was released. Wait, was it released in Canada? It might have been released in Canada, but I'm not sure. Anyway, so maybe something else um, that people can watch too to learn more about, I guess, from our perspectives. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about? I feel like we covered a lot. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah, I, kind I of think feel more peaceful and like calm after like kind of just talking through yeah. everything with you guys. Because last night I was like, oh god, <laughs> so much emotion. That's why we as a community we gotta we gotta be there for each other. We gotta stand together, and so it makes it just the adoptee community coming out in the way that it has so unique and so impactful. Is that like never have I thought I would be able to have these kinds of discussions with people who who really got it. And I think that's really unique and really can't be understated the importance yeah. of that. Yeah. And I think just the importance of for people who haven't seen it, if they do watch it to make sure they will watch it maybe with the right people. And then they have maybe someone to talk to afterwards. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Tune in next week for our discussion of the one child policy. If you're interested in participating in one of these episodes, you can email us at somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow our Instagram family at somewhere underscore between underscore fam and stay connected with us on updates, casting calls, and a whole bunch of other stuff. See you guys next week.